Good morning, good morning. I, I don't know about you guys, I love this time of year. That the, There's a crispness in the air and it's colder outside. I don't like the cold being from Texas. Is 70 degrees is my like lowest point. I'll go after that. It's freezing. I bust out the sweater and the parka. And so I don't like the weather right now. It was good for about 15 minutes last week and then it dropped on me. But, but I love this time. It's a great time to be outside and to be doing activities. I, I play in sports and uh, I can go ride a bike. I'm not going to, but I could if I wanted to. And it's just a great time for that. I, I love to go out and see uh, the students here playing their different sports, going out and playing football under the lights. And I actually, I played football in high school is for one day. I was not cut out for it. Uh, but I grew up, I actually grew up at our ministry partner, Cookson Hills, and I uh, played soccer there. And you look at me and you think, okay, yeah, yeah, Taylor looks athletic. He could, he could do that. It hasn't always been the case. When I was in junior high, I was about five feet tall and five feet wide. And I tell students I fell over one time and no one noticed. I was the big kid. And so playing soccer was rough. Training, I love the sport. I loved to play sports. I'm not a fanatic of sports like the uh, Longhorns were on yesterday, uh, and I, I knew that we got beat. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, we got beat, and I know the Cowboys are playing today. I'm not going to follow along. And I, I'm not going to set time aside. Like if, they, if there's a championship or the uh, FIFA World Cup or, or the Super Bowl, I'll watch those. But the daily stuff, you can ask me. The Cowboys, they have uh, Dak Prescott's the quarterback. I think we still have Zeke Elliott. I don't know. Uh, but I'm not huge in that. But I will go out and play sports all day long. I'll run and do all that, but I hate the training aspect of sports, and, and I just hate training in general. And it's bad, it, it's, it, I think I hate it as a child because it was tough. It is, you had to sit there and you had to work at it, and you had to, you had to practice, and I was, I was running, and I wasn't getting any faster. I was running, and I wasn't getting any thinner, and I wasn't getting any better at soccer when I was in junior high, and so I, I wanted to quit, and it was also, it wasn't any fun. Is, is my idea of fun is not sweating profusely. My idea of fun is not having pains in my, in my sides and, and, and muscles I didn't know I have is they are hurting. And that was not my fun. It, it was tough and it was hard. It wasn't fun. And I just don't like training. I still don't like working out today. My wife, though, she is the opposite. She loves to work out. She is one of those crazy people that enjoys the pain from working out. Like she'll go run like, man, my, my thighs are killing me. Let's go do it again. And I'm like, that's God saying, stop. I, I don't do that. that is, he, he's telling me to quit. But she loves that. So she, I know, I know that working out, it's good for me. It's healthy. I need to be doing it. And she tries to help me. And so she appeals to different sides of me. She appeals to my thrifty side. And guys, maybe, maybe your wife or girlfriend does this to you, but she's like, hey, is this gym is having a free membership. And so I'm like, ooh, I do free. I love free. Free is easy. It's great. I will do free. But then my lazy side's like, you're going to sweat and you're going to be sore when you go to bed. You're going to wake up tired. And that side wins most of the time. Or, or she appeals to my time to want to spend with family. And so she's like, hey, when you get home, let's go on a walk after dinner. I'm like, okay, I can do it. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to do a brisk 
walk. I'm like, I got brisk. I can do that. Hang out and be back home. She's like, we're just going to walk three miles. I'm like, that's not brisk. That's a 5K. People pay money to run those. That's, that's not brisk. Or, or my favorite is she's, she tells me, she's like, man, I love that shirt on you. That shirt looks great on you. Too bad it doesn't fit anymore. I'm like, oh, she gets me. Oh, she gets me hard. But she signed us up one time for a Tough Mudder. And if you don't, you're not familiar with that, it's a 13-mile it's a obstacle course. And I was not signing myself up for this, but she signed us up. At, and she was excited, so I started to get excited about it. And so we're training. We're running uh, miles each day. And, and then she goes and she becomes pregnant with our son Limerick. And so she has to bow out of the race. And so then there's just me, and I'm not going to, to run by myself. And so I stop. And so a few months go by and the race is almost here. And so I start getting ready. I'm like, okay, I need to go run, uh, run before uh, the day comes. And so we're two weeks out and I go run. I'm like, I'm going to run. I'm going to be ready. I run a mile. I'm like, done. I got this. This is going to be easy. Piece of cake. I'm prepared. I, I was not prepared. I was not prepared for it. We get to the race. And the thing I love about the Tough Mudder, it's a group effort is you have a team. And so we had six other friends who are with us and we get there and the obstacles are bigger than I expected. And there's just once this giant mountain they made and it has like slick something on it. And so you're, you're wet and you're trying to climb up it with other people and there's no handles and you slide back down. Or I hate being cold and there's this giant tunnel, you slide into a giant ice bath and, and it's not fun. And you're doing all these things, but the worst obstacle, it's called electroshock therapy. And they put this right at the end, like it's here. And then 10 feet later is the finish line. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get through it. But then right behind it are all the people who came to cheer on everyone and encourage them. But there's another group there. And this is the group that's there just for this one obstacle. And they are sitting there with their like reclining chairs, like the footrest, you know, at, at the camp chairs. They have their ice chest full of sandwiches and Cokes, and they're there for the long haul. And they are propped up, and they are ready just to watch people be electrocuted for fun. <laughs> and these people are sadistic, and, and they're there, and they're going. And so we get there, and we, we, the guy in front of us, is, is he's getting energy, and he's getting ready. He runs, we're like, okay. And he starts going, he gets halfway through, and we're like, okay, he's making it. He's getting a little shocked, but nothing bad. And then it happens. A live wire right in the face, and he just locks up, and he hits the ground hard, and all confidence goes out the window, and we are scared to death now. And so the line's building up behind us. People are like, come on, you got to go, and we can't chicken out and go around because people are watching us. There's people in the stands jeering at us. And so we're there, and we, we link arms, and we start running, and we start getting picked off one by one, getting shocked, and I get hit in the arm, and I just lock up, and I fall down into the ground. I'm covered in mud. I have to crawl out and still getting shocked, and, and it, it was bad. I was not prepared for that race, for that event. And even though I, I, I was there, is I woke up the next week hurting for days on end because I was using muscles and being electrocuted for fun, and it was, it was not fun. I did not train like I should have. And I imagine I'm not the only person in here who has trouble with training. Why is it so hard to train? Why is it so hard to train physically? Why is it so hard just to train in general? Whether it's for a new job or a new position at work or for a hobby or for higher education, we know that, that the end results 
are good for us when we train physically is you start to feel better. You start getting muscles and you start to look better, have more confidence. You can lift things easier. You can breathe easier and you have more energy. Even the immediate results of working out one time, you start to feel better. You have less stress. Your mood improves. Your executive functions enhance and your disease management and prevention, it increases. So why is it so hard to train with anything in life? And I, I think it's because it's tough. It takes effort and requirement and a commitment. You have to keep at it, keep doing it. And it's not always fun. You don't see results immediately, and so you want to give up. You're not where you want to be, and so you want to quit. And in our text today, is Paul is writing to Timothy, he tells him that he needs to be training, but he needs to be training for godliness, and if you're new to the series with us, is we are in the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 4 today. And Paul is an older Christian. He's a pillar of the Christian faith for us today. But at this moment, he is just writing to his mentee, Timothy, who's a young pastor at the church at Ephesus. And what Paul is telling Timothy in, in this book is good for all of us to know as well. Not just for pastors, but for everyone who's a Christian. So go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you, it's going to be on page 840. Uh, I just grabbed one there, so if you're missing one, my bad. Uh, but we're just using those. You can, it's going to be on the screen as well or in the app, like Frank said. But let's go ahead. Let's dive in. Let's start at the beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So Paul is telling him, he's saying the Spirit clearly says, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's revealed either to Paul or, or through prophecy, through someone else, that people are going to abandon the faith. People are going to leave the faith. And he doesn't say fall away from the faith. As you can trip and fall, and that's an accident. But abandonment, that is willfully doing. You are choosing to leave. And he's saying people are going to abandon the faith. He's not saying people who are outside the church who are like, well, I'm just not going to give this Christianity thing a try. No, he's saying people inside the church are choosing to leave and choosing to follow other things. They're following demons and teachings by deceitful spirits. And they're not sitting there and just going like, man, I liked what that pastor said at church, but let's go see what this demon has to say. No, they're not doing that. They're, they're being tricked by the perversion of the scripture. And so let's look at verse two. It says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So these people who, who are leaving the faith, abandoning the faith, they are morally and ethically good people. They align with what Scripture says we should do as people. And so they like the commandments. Hey, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. And they go to church, but they're not grounded and rooted in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And so they are being tricked by other people. These people are using Scripture. They're perverting Scripture. Jesus had this happen to him in the wilderness when Satan tempted him. Is Satan used scripture. He took it out of context to make it mean what he wanted it to mean. And these people weren't rooted in the faith. They didn't know the Bible. And so when they heard something that wasn't correct, they thought this has to be true. And so they were leaving the faith in droves. And it talks about later times. This isn't like Paul's talking about, man, 
in the future. No, he's talking right at that moment. Later times in the Bible is any time after Jesus ascended into heaven until he returns. We're in the later times now. They were in the later times 600 years ago. So people are going to be abandoning the faith. And he says that, that these people who are, who are tricking them, their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. I was in ninth grade and I was in a small engines class and I built an engine and I cranked it up and it starts going and I didn't tighten the muffler down all the way. And so not thinking, I reached out and grabbed it as it's running because I didn't want to rattle off and I burnt all of my fingertips. And, and as my hand was healing, the nerve endings were still burnt so I could rub my fingers together and I didn't feel that. I, I could grab something cold and it didn't feel cold to me. I could grab something hot and it didn't feel hot. And that's why he's saying these people, they are lying to people. They are leading them astray on purpose and they're not feeling the weight or the shame or the guilt of their sinfulness. It's like their consciences are seared and they feel nothing. We, we call these people sociopaths. And then they, how are they doing this? How are they leading people astray? Let's continue in verse four. Our verse three says, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. These people are, are leading people astray by saying you can't be married, you don't need to be married you don't need to eat these foods. You can't eat these types of food. If you want to be a good Christian, you need to stay single. And Paul's saying, this is going against what God created in, in Genesis. This is his first covenant, the covenant of marriage. God is not going to contradict himself and say, never mind, I changed my mind. No, he says, he goes back again to Genesis with the food Everything God created in the Bible, he said in creation, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. He says, God's not going to say it's bad. He's not saying you can't do this anymore. And he even talks about with Peter and his vision in Acts 10, when he has a vision of a sheep being let down out of heaven and, and there's all types of animals. And so for me, I love this chapter because that means there's bacon on that and I can eat bacon now. And if you're from Louisiana, you're excited because there's reptiles and alligators, you got gumbo and, and you love it. And God says, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And so they're saying that that church isn't about the saving grace of Jesus. It's about a checklist. If you do these things, if you don't do these things, you are a better person. God's going to love you more. It doesn't matter that Jesus died on the cross for you. It matters what you're doing. And so they, they've boiled Christianity down into what you do, not who saves you. And so they're leading these people astray. Up until this point in 1 Timothy is, is he, Paul's been talking to the church, giving directions about the elders and deacons of the church and different things that, that Timothy needs to be doing as a pastor and that the church needs to be doing as the bride of Christ. But then he switches right here in verse 6, and it goes from an assembly to an individual. And he's telling Timothy to look at himself. Let's read verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers... You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. He's saying to point these things out, point out the false teachings that are going around, point out this doctrine that's not biblical, point these things out. That's going to help you as a minister. That's going to help us as Christians if we point out 
when, when things are contradicting the Bible. And then continue in verse seven, he says, nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Have nothing to do with all those false, falsities that people are spreading. That's not important. He says, rather train yourself to be godly. That's what's important. Train yourself to be godly. And, and here we learn something very important. That godliness is not something you get. It's something you go after. Godliness is not something you get, it's something you go after. You have to work for it. You have to put in the time and the effort over and over and over again. Train to be godly. And the word train here, it comes from the Greek word gumnazdo, which means it conveys a practice through, uh, proficiency through practice. And it's where we get the Greek word or for our word, gymnasium or gym, from the word gymnasio. And, and I think there's a lot of similarities between the gym and the church. We go to the gym for a few weeks and we don't get results, and so we quit going. Or, or the gym gets new equipment, but we like the old equipment better. Where, where's the Bowflex? Where's the thigh master at? I, I want the old stuff. Or we walk into the gym, we swipe our membership card, but we put our heads down and walk to the equipment and we do what we came to do and then we leave and we miss out on this community of people who are there to help us and grow us and encourage us. Or we walk into the gym and we just sit down. We think, I'm here in the building, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be getting that body I want because I'm here, I showed up. Why is nothing happening? Or, or we don't get the results we want, so we go to a new gym, we'll get the results there. And then we go to a new gym. We'll get the results and we keep going. The gym is like the church. People treat it the same way. But Paul says, train to be godly. Verse eight says this, for physical trainings of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He's saying that, that being physically fit, training your body, it's good. Who doesn't like to feel better, have some more muscle, be able to do things easier? Our bodies are the temple of the living God. The spirit dwells within us. We need to be taking care of our body. But physical training only lasts for a little bit. It only has a limited extent. You can, you can work out every day, but your body is going to wear out. You're, you're eventually going to grow old. You're going to waste away and everything you work for is not going to work. You can work out every single day, but, but if you stop, the minute you stop, you are two weeks in a carton of ice cream from losing all your progress. You have to continually, day after day, keep working out. You look at any superstar movie actor, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he, he has a semi full of equipment that he travels with, and he works out for hours each day to be the size he is. And even though physical training can give you good emotions, it can increase your energy, and it can boost your confidence, it's only for this life. Physical training's not gonna heal the hurt or the anger, the bitterness, the despair, the brokenness that you feel inside. Only Jesus can do that. Only God can do it. You can't bench press the emptiness in your soul away. You can't curl wholeness. 
Only God can do that. It says in Matthew 16, 26, what good is it if a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? But godliness, godliness has value. Godliness has benefits for the present life right now and for the life to come. So how are we to train ourselves for godliness? How are we to grow in that? Coming to church, it's good. It's a good start to be here today. But coming to church for an hour a week and expecting to be a mature, spiritual Christian, it's like going to the gym for once a week and expecting to be like the rock. It is you're not going to get the results you want. You can't eat worldly junk food all week long, putting trash into your soul and expect to be spiritually fit. What you take in matters. And so I think there's three things that will help us as we grow in godliness. The first one, it's practical. And these things are, are things that you have to do by yourself. You, you can have people encourage you and give you advice, but in the end, it comes down to you. And that's, this is like our spiritual diet and exercise. There's things like fasting, meditating on God's word, reading God's word, praying, having a deeper prayer life, not just saying a quick, please help me, Jesus, before I meet with my boss. Not thank you, God, for this food. It's having impactful prayers where you're spending time and energy. It's, it's reading God's word, not just following along with Pastor Joe on a weekend, but, but spending time growing in your knowledge of the Bible. The second one is public. And so many times as we come to church and we grow in our, in our knowledge of God and his grace, we grow in our knowledge of the Bible, but we're still missing out on a very vital aspect of, of the Christian life. It's like the guys who go to the gym and they skip leg day. You guys know who I'm talking about. It's the guys who from like the waist up, they are just jack giant, bi like this, giant biceps and, and like six pack abs. Uh, but if from the waist down, it looks like they're riding a chicken. You, they're missing out. They're not getting the full body workout. And, and that's what like coming to church on the weekends is like, is you're missing out. This is only time that you're doing it. You don't have the capacity to know everyone in this room deeply, to have a strong relationship with people in here. You need a smaller gathering of people to complement this gathering. And, and that's where life groups come in. This is people that you are growing with in relationship that you know about their past, you know about their future, you know about their present, you're, you're sharing and spending life with. People that you are growing as a Christian, you're growing as a person. This is a group that you don't feel like you have to put on a front or a facade that you can be honest with, that you can be like, man, no, work is going hard. Man, I'm not sure, I'm struggling with God's grace right now and understanding that, that you can talk to these are the people who, who are there for you, supporting you, cheering you on, walking alongside you in life. Don't get me wrong. It is life groups are not easy. They are hard because it takes commitment and it takes work. You have to be there. It's hard even for me sometimes on, on Tuesday nights it, is I'm tired. I've been with students all weekend and I, I want to just stay home and rest, but I know it's worth it going with my life group. It's hard at times, but it's worth it. When Kelsey and I uh, were in Dallas a few years ago before we moved up here is, is we were going through a real tough time in our life. And 
uh, we were expecting a, uh, a baby, and we were, it was beautiful. We were, we were so excited, and uh, we went to the doctor, and, and we heard her heartbeat, and it was the most beautiful song that I'd ever heard in my life. And so we were excited. Our family was excited. Uh, and so we go into the doctor a, a month later, and the song quit playing. And I never got to hear it again. And during that time, in the hardest moments of our life, our life group was there. We didn't need people telling us what the scriptures say, that God had a plan for us, that it was going to be okay. We knew those things deep down. But in that moment, we needed people who were hurting with us. We needed people who were crying alongside us, who were feeling with us. And our life group was there doing that. As we sat on my in-law's back patio, our life group was there sitting with us in silence, and they were feeling what we were feeling. They didn't give us advice. They didn't tell us that, man, we, we've been there. No, they were just hurting with us. We had those other people who said, who, we've been there. We know what it's like. They didn't know what it was like as we went home, and we had nothing anymore. We needed people in our corner, and our life group was there. They were there in the good times. They were there in our hardest moments. And you need that, someone that you can rely on. My church family was there for us, but not like my life group was because they were walking alongside us through everything, not just on the weekends when we saw them. They were there in the dirt. They were there on sunny days. You need a life group. The third one is personal. And and you have Practical, you have public, you have personal. And the personal, I think it's the hardest. It's the hardest one for me, and I'm assuming it's probably the hardest one for everyone in this room because it's messy. You need to have an accountability partner, someone who will hold your feet to the fire, someone whose only vested interest is you growing more Christ-like, someone who's gonna ask the hard questions, even the harder questions in your life group will ask the person you can be real with who knows the deepest, darkest recesses of your soul. For me, this plays out through my friend Ish. Ish is a pastor in Colorado, and we've been accountability partners now for about six or seven years. And we went to college together, and so we've known each other for 12 years, I think, now. And and Ish and I, we, we talk every Wednesday, and we share about our, our successes in ministry. We share about our struggles. We, we talk about our, our wives. We talk about my son and what's going on. We, we ask how each other's doing, and, and we have to confess to each other. And I hate Wednesdays some days because I have to be honest and real with Ish, and I have to confess that I messed up again. I screwed up again. But Ish is there to encourage me to, to hold my feet in the fire and say, this, God wants more for you than this. And he is there, and we leave those conversations encouraging each other and lifting each other, praying for each other, and knowing that we're making progress. So you need an accountability part. You need to be working on the practical, what you can with your life. You need to be sharing and growing with others. And you need to have someone you can, you can confess and grow with spiritually as well. I think sometimes it is we're afraid when it comes to training for godliness that if we haven't made progress, it's been years, it's been decades, and I'm still not at the finish line. We think that God must be frustrated with us. He must be angry with us. And so we decide that we're just going to quit. 
If he's going to be mad at you any, either way, why keep working? Why keep put, going through the training? And the best way that I can think how God views us is how I view my son eating. He is a, a year and a half old, and he is, uh, he's a grown boy. And when he first started eating, we'd set him in his high chair, and he would, we would feed him with a spoon, and then he started being able to pick it up and feed himself. And now he's trying to figure out a spoon. And he, unless it has peanut butter on it, it's everywhere. It gets on him, it gets on, on the counter, on the floor, it gets on the dog, but the dog doesn't care. Uh, and I have to clean up this huge mess every time. And I'm not angry at him because he makes a mess. I have to clean up. No, I'm excited for him. He's growing. He's progressing. He's getting better. And he gets frustrated at times, but, but he still tries and he keeps working at it. He goes again and each meal he tries because he knows and I know this isn't the end result. I know eventually he's going to come up and, and pull out the chair himself. He's going to sit down at the dinner table, and he's going to be able to put food on his, uh, on his plate. He's going to be eat it by himself, and hopefully he's going to do dishes afterwards. <laughs> but it's not the end result at that time. He's making progress, and that's how God views you. He's not mad at you because you haven't reached the finish line. No, he's delighted in you. You're trying. He's like, Billy, man, Billy. He used to not read the Bible all. Now he's reading the Bible. He's spending time in my word. I'm so excited about Billy. Man, Sue, Sue, she used to say prayers right before bedtime and that was it. Now she wakes up and she spends time talking to me. I'm so proud of her. God's proud of you. He's excited because you're making progress. He knows you're not at the end. He still has expectations and he wants you to continue growing, but he knows you're not where you began. He doesn't expect you to be a super Christian overnight. He understands it takes time, it takes effort over and over again. Paul tells Timothy in verses 9 and 10 that this is why we labor and strive, is our hope in the living God. This is why we're training for godliness. It has value both in this life and the life to come. Godliness is not something you get. It's something you go after. Anything worth value is hard. Anything worth value is tough and takes energy and effort to get it. Do you see the value of training for godliness? Imagine what it would look like here at New Life if we all make an effort to train for godliness together, if we're lifting each other up, if we're growing in our faith, if we're, if we're putting these practices into our lives. Imagine what would happen here in this, in this building. Imagine what would happen in our community the impact we'd be making as we are training for godliness, knowing that we haven't reached the end, but we're progressing. So is godliness something that you're going to go after? Is godliness something you're going to go after? 